There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to The Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi, I'm the founder, and my mission is to help ethical entrepreneurs and holistic healers to find their voice through spiritual coaching and podcasting. I'm honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through healing, kindness, innovation, purpose, and spirit. Understanding that to create collective change, we need to be the change. It all begins with us. Alex Regan is the author of What Needs to be Said, as well as an interfaith minister, speaker, and transformational spiritual coach who uses his intuitive wisdom to help guide people towards their own inner knowing. Born into an evangelical Christian family that prevented his true identity as a trans man from emerging, he spent years in depression, anxiety, and addiction trying to break free of the oppressive beliefs that bound him. His journey at last led him to sobriety, shamanism, and then seminary, which helped him reclaim his faith and trust in the divine. I'm proud to call Alex a good friend of mine, as someone who sees me, understands me, and aligns with me despite the distance between us. I hope you enjoy this incredible human, and please excuse my croaky voice in this one. Welcome, Alex, to the Ethical Evolution. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Me too. Now, um, for those of you who don't know who you are and what you do, can you go ahead and tell us? Yeah, you bet. So I guess right now my big thing, I just published a book with Hay House Publishing. It's called What Needs to be Said, Speak Your Truth, Release Shame, Find Oneness. I think I got a copy back here. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's exciting. It's been out, I guess it'll be two months tomorrow. So uh, that's really exciting. So that's um, kind of a combination of memoir, self-help, uh, I guess kind of the new phrasing they call is like a teaching memoir. Um, so it's got... Uh, Part of my story is built into it, which is that, that of a, uh, a trans man born into a pretty evangelical family. Uh, I didn't necessarily go to a super event, what would be considered a very evangelical denomination of church. It was just my family and their friends were really on that sort of uh, leaning, uh, very right uh, of center and, and sort of, uh, you know, not really, let's just be honest, pretty homophobic and, and mm. things like that. Um so growing up in that kind of my story of knowing from a very young age that I was, uh, you know, definitely different from them. Um, so my story tells that and then struggles I went through after coming out and all that stuff. And and then what uh, led through what I call the emergence, which is sort of coming out from the other side of that, uh, coming into like my spiritual work, some training I did in shamanism, going to an interfaith seminary um, and so many more things in in the middle of that. And, um, and then it also has, you know, kind of like a workbook built into it. So it has practices, sort of meditation, writing samples, things like that, uh, for the reader to like do their work alongside, alongside me. I absolutely love it. Now, 
<clears throat> for those people listening, yes, I don't sound like my dulcet self, so bear with me. I'm a little croaky today, so thank you, Alex, for bearing with me. But um, you and I were just chatting off air and there's so much that you and I have in common um, in that, you know, we've both come out, we've both now in touch with that spiritual side of ourselves and we're sharing that with others and, and we coach others in those areas. Also writing books. Uh, I'm in the middle of writing one at the moment. Not the same kind of stuff you are, but um, but but very similar. Uh, and th- there's just so many things. I'm, I'm sure we're going to go through our conversation and be going, me too. Um, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I guess I left out that part too. I also do coaching. Yeah. I'm also an interfaith minister. <clears throat> I do one-on-one work, workshops, etc., with people. Mm. Now, there's there's a couple of touch points uh, from what you said that I'd like to elaborate on uh, through our conversation. One of those is is obviously your coming out story um, and and how that was for you. Um, and and also the sentiment for you at the moment in terms of being a trans person in the US at the moment um, and, um, you know, obviously with all that's going on uh, in government there at the moment. Um, the other thing I'd love to touch on <clears throat> is um, shamanism, you know, how, how you got into that and what you've brought out of that into your practice now. Um, yeah, you bet. So let's start um, with your little bit more detail in your story. Take us back to where it started for you. Yeah. So, I mean, I think as a little kid growing up, you know, in the 70s and 80s, obviously I didn't have the language uh, where I lived, certainly. Uh, I didn't have language for gay that young, certainly. I didn't have language definitely for transgender at that time. So, you know, I think I just knew... Uh, you know, I, I have a story I share in the book when I was about six, seven, I was playing in the front yard with my brother and a bunch of uh, boys in the neighborhood. And we were all kind of running around in the sprinklers with my shirt off, all of us with our shirts off. And my mom, you know, sort of very frantically was like, oh my God, you have to put your shirt back on, you know, girls can't go outside. And I was just kind of like, I was very confused. Like, this is weird. I look just like them. They look like me, you know, and that was sort of the first moment of like, something's not like something's awry here, you know, kind of thing. Um, and then that sort of escalated to, you know, at about 10, as they started teaching, you know, sex ed and things in school and like, you know, showing parts of thing. I was like, okay, now I'm really, you know, I'm like really confused with what's going on. And I remember sort of like, uh, approaching a couple boys in class being like, Hey, I'll, I'll show you what I got down there. If you show me what you got down there. Cause I was like, this is weird. You know, yeah. like I'm really, and of course we got caught, we totally got busted. And, you know, they, they called my mom. And of course she's thinking, this is something like, oh, you, you don't let people touch our privates. You know, like, I'm not touching, what are you talking about? You know, and <laughs> I'm just trying to see what's down there, you know, was in my mind. And then she's like, you know, you only let your husband. And I'm like, now I have to have a husband. I'm like 10, you know, like this is like created a lot, a lot of confusion. Um, so that was sort of like the beginning stages of things where I just, there felt like this confusion. I couldn't really explain it. Um, didn't have words for it, but I just knew something felt different from what people were telling me. Um, and then, you know, by the time I hit puberty, I was like, clearly I'm attracted to girls. And that then kind of tripped that thought in my mind, like, oh, I must be what they're saying, this, this gay, you know, kind of thing. And what's that mean? I don't know entirely, but I knew I was attracted to the girls and I felt very uncomfortable with that. You know, in a lot of ways, I was just like, oh, this is certainly bad. Um, and I, you know, I, I tell this story in the book as well of, of my mom when I was maybe 
12, 13, like their friend had a young son who was in his probably early 20s at the time who had contracted HIV and it had turned into full-blown AIDS. And he was definitely, you know, unfortunately he was really sick and, and dying and they had him over for dinner. And of course they didn't tell us anything. They just were like, don't touch him. Don't touch anything. You know, it was really that fear. The mm. early nineties still was really in a place of fear and, and misinformation. And uh, yeah, we don't own misinformation in 2023. And like the last eight years, you know, since yeah. 2016 misinformation has been around for, for a long time. Um, anyways, uh, so I heard her telling him, you know, he was going to go to hell, you know, for being gay and he needed to repent and all of this stuff. And it was like, at that moment, I was kind of like at the bottom of the stairs. I don't, she didn't know that I was listening. Um, but at that moment I knew, oh, like, okay, this is like, what's going to happen to me. And I think it was like this weird moment of like, shit, this is my you know, future. Um, but also this moment of like knowing I had to either choose them and lose myself or choose me and lose them. Mm. Like it was just this weird juxtaposition. Um, so that's really kind of like how things, you know, began for me. Um, and it was a lot to carry as a little kid, um, at that time with especially nobody, you know, now I'm, you know, not that it's easy for everyone, but at least there are resources that most kids can get a hold of. Most kids can find things online. They can contact places, you know, which I'm just so grateful to know that that's sort of been created. But back then that wasn't a thing. There weren't, you know, LGBTQ clubs in school. There weren't, you know, there was no place. So it was like, I carried all that for, you know, until, you know, in college, so for quite a while until I met some other human who I felt I could kind of talk to about that. Mm, and I <clears throat> I think it's when we tell our stories that it actually helps others understand theirs, you know. Um, yeah, and I sure. think that's where our unity is um, as people. Um, and as you were telling your story, I'm like, yeah, it's so similar to mine in that um, – you know, when I was a little girl, I, yeah, I'd be down the street on my bike with the boys, no shirt on, you know, <laughs> down the creek, up up, up in the, the crops, you know, all this kind of, because I, I lived in a small country town. I was out with the boys. I was doing all the, you know, the fun stuff. And <laughs> again, my mum would be yelling at me down the street, get home, put your clothes on. And she'd always be trying to make me grow my hair and you know, do it, you know, princess Leia buns on my head and all this kind of shit. And I was like, nah, this does not feel right for me. Um, yeah. And it wasn't until I got a little bit old, I'm like, mm, you know, things still don't quite feel right. But, and and eventually, you know, everything fell into place. It was like, oh, I get it now, you know. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, everybody has a unique experience um, and, and how they, you know, it's an evolution really, you know. Totally. And there's some people who also – they might think, oh, no, I'm gay or, no, hang on, I might be bi, but there's nothing wrong with what you're feeling, I think is the most important thing. Whatever your attraction is, no matter how you identify, there's nothing wrong with it. It is you. It is unique. And there is a spectrum, you know. Um, yeah. Not everyone is 100% straight or 100% gay or whatever, you know. You yeah. are you. I think that is the most totally. important thing we could share with anyone. When it comes Definitely. to identity and sexuality, um, Definitely. What, what challenges do you face now um, in the US um, with all this trans talk going on in the background? Obviously, it's got to feel a little bit discomforting 
you know, to know yeah. that people want to put laws in place around this kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, it's pretty intense right now here. There's a lot of, uh, again, misinformation is really uh, just uh, sort of flowing freely right now. And I think that's the thing as I, I think my book couldn't have come out at a better time. I mean, it's kind of ironic, you know, even a year ago when I turned in the manuscript a year ago from on the July 4th, I turned in the full manuscript it still wasn't what it is now, you know, and two years ago when I got the deal, it was like, I couldn't have imagined we'd be at this space where we have like four or 500 laws now mm. that are trying to be passed all across uh, the United States. I know the UK is facing things, uh, you know, it's pretty rampant uh, around globally, honestly. Um, but there also are really positive things happening that are happening in other countries as well. And even here in the States, there are positive things that are happening in, in the more uh, sort of, uh, as we call them, blue states, um, the more liberal states. So, you know, it's got its intensity. It's, it's, if I'm having an off day, it feels like a heavy weight and a heavy burden for sure. Like, oh my God, how are we going to overcome this? But one thing I also have really learned is the best thing I can do is my own internal work. Um, and I don't mean that we can't do things out in the world as well, that we can't protest, that we can't write letters, that we can't uh, give money to organizations that are fighting uh, these laws, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> By all means, do that. Um, but I also know that if something feels uncomfortable to me, if I feel, you know, I know the word triggered gets thrown around a lot nowadays, but if I feel triggered by something, I know my first sort of go-to nowadays is to say, oh, okay, that's something inside of me that's like wanting this external out here to be different so that I feel better. And that's always like a big red flag to me because to me, you know, I, I notice like one thing I've come to with my parents is a similar thing. You know, my, my parents, obviously, it sounds like in a way, possibly your parents do. They, they wanted us to be someone they needed us to be so that they would feel better. Yep. Because they then they wouldn't feel whatever was coming up for them. Yeah. So if I if I do that same thing in return, I've become no different than they are. Mm hmm. And that's really sort of struck me uh, in the last few years as I've finished the book and as, you know, I've been building up to uh, sort of, it's like a whole nother coming out. <laughs> you know, this is like now, a, like, this is like, again, now this is for real. Every time someone reads the book, it's like another coming out. It's another coming out. And so that's one thing I really have tried to do is what can I do inside of me? What can I heal about my own shame, my own self-loathing, my own fear of getting it wrong, my own fear of uh, being punished uh, by God or by society or whatever. And just to keep trying to dig, you know, uh, just keep excavating deeper mm. and deeper. What can I heal? What can I heal? Um, because I do believe our external is a reflection of, of what's going on inside of us. Mm. So if I'm seeing a lot of stuff <laughs> that seems like it's against me and seems like I'm the other, I know somewhere inside of me, I feel like the other and I'm feeling against someone and I can check that. I can be like, Ooh, wait, hold on. Let's look at this. Like there's something going on here. Absolutely. So. And, you know, it just made me think that, you know, I know there's people in our LGBTQIA plus community who are quite militant, you know, like mm. in the forefront of their mind is always how are people attacking me or how are they not being fair to me? Like, how about you just take a look at yourself? You know, the change starts with us. And that's the big thing that this show is all about is like, 
looking at ourselves and how we can bit by bit be that change we want to see in the world. And yeah. and you're exactly right. If you're triggered by something, it's something in you. It's not what somebody else has done. And, and we are getting so sensitive to not triggering people, but it's it's them, it's not us. So yeah. that is a really, really important way to look at it regardless of how you identify um, and what's totally. going on in your world is like what's going on with you? Yep, <clears throat> yep. Do you yeah, see the exactly. same thing in, in the circles and over there, you know, like there's people who get out and they protest and they have you know, big voices, but what are they doing for themselves? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, again, that's what some people also, some people feel that that's their calling or that's their work to be <clears> out <throat> there on the front lines, pounding the pavement, fighting. But for me, you know, for years I was, I was studying uh, – for a while I was in a master's program that was literally a master's in social change, like in activism, you know, and I was like, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to go to law school. I'm going to be fighting the fight, you know, all this stuff. And then hilariously, like the school in the middle of the, between this first and second year, the school ended up getting busted for like some guy was embezzling like financial aid money or something from the the government. (laughs) The school just got like shut down. Like they were like, you're done. So the school went like bankrupt and nobody wanted to touch the credits. Everyone was like, uh-uh, I'm not <laughs> touching that school. You know, so it's just like the universe was like, yeah, that's not for you. Like, that's not like it, it clearly just decided for me. Like, this is not the path for you. And I think from that moment on, it began this sort of reconfiguring like, okay, wait, do I want to just constantly be fighting against things? And, and what I came to find is I wanted to find out like what I was for instead of like what I was against. Mm. Because if I'm all about what I'm against, I'm fighting an unending battle that you'll never get out of because they're also fighting what they're against. Absolutely. They're not fighting for what they're for. And again, I don't even think you fight for what you're for. I think you just speak up for what you're for and you actually live for what you're for Mm. versus fighting against, you know, what you are against. I, I think there's a big distinction of that. And, and uh, again, it's not for everyone. I know a lot of people just feel like, yeah, but there's so much to fight for. You know, I have this whole part about like my fighting day in the book. I say like my fighting days are done. Like I've put down my sword. I've put down my shield. Like I'm done. And I know that would trigger some people. They'd be like, <laughs> what is wrong with you? There's so much to fight for still. I'm like be, be my guest, you know, like, <laughs> more power to you. Mm. I love you. Good luck in that. But I'm not your partner. In that. Like I, I can't just, um, I can't just keep fighting against everything that again, that I need to be different out there so that I can feel some sort of semblance of peace inside of me. Mm, that is, that is so, so true. And it's such a great way to look at it as well. Um, just touching back on, um, you know, the positive things that are, that are happening in particular for those who identify as transgender, um, around the world, um, here in Australia, um, you're, you're most welcome here, Alex, um, anytime. Yes. Um, I was actually watching uh, Queensland Parliament TV. Queensland is where I am in Australia. Yep. And I was watching uh, our Parliament TV a couple of weeks ago and they were actually putting bills in place to protect uh, those communities uh, and to make safer spaces and 
like a lot of people joke our state is the nanny state because we protect everything possible. Um, but, but it's the safest place to be really. Um, you know, if you want to come here to Queensland, you're welcome anytime. Um, and uh, it's a safe space no matter how you identify. I love it. (laughs) And that's true. I mean, I think, you know, I was saying to a friend recently, we live in both the most like advanced and safest time it has ever been to be LGBTQIA plus in the world. And also we're facing some difficult issues because that's what happens when progress happens. When progress pulls us forward, there's always a handful of people that are like, oh, wait, but I liked it back here. (laughs) I think this was a good time. And I'm like, yeah, because you were at the top of the food chain and you were, you know, colonialism, capitalism, of course, white, white supremacy. Of course you were doing great at that time. You know, you're like a white cishet straight guy. That was like great time for you. (laughs) Your time is no more, you know, like you've had your turn, you know, kind of thing. Um, But there's always going to be people that are going to pull backwards too. And it's just the momentum that we have is our, I believe it's already unstoppable. What's, what's happening. Um, All of this is just a, I always liken it to, you know, when a toddler is so tired that they just are having this meltdown, that they just refuse to go to sleep. That's like what's happening right now. It is just this meltdown of the old way, of the patriarchy, of white supremacy, of capitalism, of of colonialism, of all of these ways that we have been and that we are moving out of. Because the kids these days, they don't tolerate this stuff, man. Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. always so impressed with the 15, 16, even 12, 13-year-olds. I mean, they just don't tolerate crap like this anymore. They don't accept it. They just see people for people Mm -hmm. and they're like, hey, you're a non-binary pansexual, like, great. You know, like (laughs) they just go with it. Like there's no... I think they're more surprised when someone's like, oh, I'm straight, you know, I'm like, this is, this is a straight guy. And they're like, oh, okay. You know, like, um, so I think, I think things are changing in a way that we, you know, in our lifetime, we'll see dramatic, dramatic shifts. And, and you look in um, media today, you know, like we're seeing much more exposure uh, of trans people in very, very high exposure areas, you know, like magazine covers, TV shows, Definitely. movies, um, they're making big moves and uh, they're doing a great job at it. Definitely. I mean, Elliot Page's memoir just hit number one on the yeah. New York Times bestseller list. Like a trans man is like a number one New York Times bestseller. That wouldn't have happened a decade or 15 Can years ago. Can you imagine like the, the shift yeah. in media that's happened for that to occur totally. now? Like that's incredible. Totally. Wow. Like, like this could I'm be. I'm like, a- come on, my, I'm up next. Put me. <laughs> All right. We'll put you number one next, huh? Everybody go that's out and right. buy what needs to be said and make sure that that, that beats Elliot Page. <laughs> We give me one and two, just switch back and forth. It'd be great. <laughs> and I'll, let, I'll let you know when mine comes out. Um, All right, perfect. We'll get you up there too. <laughs> now, um, tell us about, you know, some of the work that you do now in terms of coaching with people and, and your spiritual practice. Like, what does that look like for you? Yeah. Um, I mean, <clears throat> you know, coaching with people has been sort of this variation, you know, I, I've struggled sometimes to even define how you define it. You know, I think, you know, I think right now I have like transformative spiritual coach, you know, kind of like, that's the the best way I could really kind of word it. But honestly, a lot of times it ends up looking different with each person I end up working with. It really depends on what it is that they've got going on. Um, what it is they're looking to do move past heal through. Um, and, and I've kind of taken 
all of these various modalities that I've been trained in myself and worked with just in my own personal life and sort of, you know, mashed them all together into this, you know, like, uh, I've sort of taken what works and left the rest and just sort of mashed it all together with my own intuition and my own uh, work with my guides and and everything like that and just sort of created its own unique, you know, unique thing. Um, so, you know, it might look like a, a guided meditation or visualization with someone where we're doing some shamanic type work where we're maybe going into a past life or looking at things that, that are affecting, um, you know, what they think is going on right now, I'm like, it might not be connected to this. It might not be connected to what you think it's connected to right here. It might be connected to something deeper from your childhood. It might go back into their lifetimes and just sort of like, um, you know, helping people uh, sort of facilitating that journey for people um, and helping them access that themselves. Um, but I do think a big part of it is you know, the tagline I sort of use is that I yearn to remind people of who they are. Mm. And I think a lot of times we get caught up. Um, you know, I was at like a big workshop uh, recently with, with some well-known people who were, were spectacular. I mean, the workshop was one of the most spectacular. If you could put on a workshop of how to put on a workshop, it was that. I mean, it was spectacular. But what I was paying attention to a lot was the people, like mm. the people attending, and what I kept noticing is that so many people show up for workshops or show up to work with coaches or other spiritual people who do readings, sessions, Akashic readings, shaman, shamanic work, the list goes on. You know, so many of us show up and, I, and I've certainly done this as well, show up into these spaces just sort of hoping someone's going to sort of tell us like, what do I do? Mm -hmm. How do I proceed? You know, and there's this like hunger for it. There's this hunger for like, you know, tell me what to do. Like, tell me, I, I can't see clearly. And I think um, the masterful, amazing, the best people, coaches, spiritual guides, whatever they are, are the people who can redirect people back to their own knowing. Mm. And to, and to reminding them that you have the access to that within inside of you. Um, and like I said, I watched like a masterclass of that uh, this last weekend. And, and I think, so that's my hope always too, whenever I'm working with someone is to just guide them back to their own knowing that they have access to all of this, that all that they need um, within them. But I think, you know, we're trained out of that at very early ages. I mean, I'm just thinking about you and and me as little kids sort of being told, you know, put on this dress. Well, mine was earrings always. Like my mom was obsessed with me wearing earrings. Like, oh, they're going to grow clothes. Guess what? They're like 50 years old almost. They haven't grown clothes. <laughs> like they still, and I haven't had an earring in there in like 30 years. Um, you know, so it was always this thing, do this, be this. And, and I think we we lose sight of then our own guidance system, you know, so we sort of get trained out of that. And so um, I think, again, the best coaches, the best people who are doing this kind of spiritual work are going to guide you back to like reclaiming that, reconnecting with that and sort of relearning that guidance system and finding that like that authentic voice of you inside of you, not as like someone you need to become or, you know, something like that, like even being different than who you are, you know, that it's, it's inside of you. And everything you've just said is practically what I would say if someone said the, asked me the same question, awesome. um, with, with some variants. Um, you know, I, um, <clears throat> also being a spiritual coach, 
it, it is it is what people need in the moment. You meet them where they are, you know what I mean? And totally. um, I've kind of done the same thing where I've taken all these different practices that I've experienced or learnt or just <laughs> somehow developed and mashed them all together and just pull yep. them out of my toolbox as they need them. Um, yep. You know, whether it be meditations, whether it be, you know, actually connecting with them and, and, and find, like I, I'm a little bit psychic as well, so I, I, I get psychic messages Same. as well. <laughs> um, so it's actually finding those messages for them and actually helping them to connect with their own intuition and then knowing, yep. as you say, to find the answers for themselves. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. we it's it's a carbon copy, isn't it? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, the challenge I have, and I don't know if you have the same, but it is when you say to someone, I'm a spiritual coach, they go, what does that mean? Are you, like, religious? Like, what is that? I mean, how can we simplify this for people to make them see how powerful it can be for them to experience yeah, I mean, I get that. I get a double dose of that because then I say that I'm an interfaith minister and then yeah. they're like, wait, you're a Christian? I'm like, what part of Christian did you get out of interfaith? <laughs> you know, like, um, so yes, by all, the, in so true. Uh, I definitely get asked that a lot. You know, for a while I, I was using this phrase called uh, soul seer, you know, <laughs> helping people that I, you know, and that's just sort of who I've always been. I've always seen people at like their soul level. And for years, I kind of used that with my, and I got people, what's that? What's that? It's exactly what it sounds like, you know, like I'm, you know, so I do think there ends up being a lot of confusion. There's a lot of like um, triggering, even the word spiritual now is so closely lumped in society to religion for a lot of people mm. that there's a lot of confusion. Um, and I, you know, and I kind of left off uh, that I was going to say, uh, when we're looking for people to tell us, you know, what to do and how to be like, we're saying the best coach is the best guy. They're going to direct you back to yourself, but religion will gladly step in and say, I know the answer. <laughs> Let me show you the way, you know, kind of thing. And so I think there is that fear and that anxiety that people carry, um, over sort of like, what will this mean if I do, um, this spiritual work and, and what does that look like? Tell me more. I'm, I'm unsure, um, you know, and especially, you know, I find in the, in the LGBTQI plus community, there's sometimes a real aversion, like, Hey, I've been down that road before I've been burnt by that, you know? Uh, so yeah, it's a challenge. And I think in part, it is about, um, you know, it always comes back to me. I mean, I know social media is great. I know, you know, we're, I mean, great. I use that term uh, loosely, I guess it, it has its down, downfalls, but <laughs> we've found each other through these kinds of things. You know, that's how we, how we do get around nowadays. But I also think, you know, word of mouth and other people telling other people, Hey, I had this coaching session, or I had this session with someone that's like an intuitive that does blah, blah, blah. I can't even totally explain it to you, but you should try it. I do think that still is um, such a profound way of like sort of uh, spreading the the gospel, so to speak. Um, you know, I think that that is a really crucial and important part. So I think it's also about telling the people who we have worked with, hey, make sure you tell other people, pass, pass my info along, um, because I think um, that's a really really important thing. And, you know, and I'll toss this out there or I, we could talk about it at the end, but I try to give free as many free sessions as I can to people who are LGBTQIA plus 
Um, because I know also like our community is hard up to find resources. Sometimes, sometimes it's hard to like, yeah, you know, I don't have extra money to spend on what we might see as like not necessary or something, but I really do encourage people like this stuff is necessary. Your life will definitely improve if you get into therapy or doing deep spiritual work, like, like we're talking about, um, it's going to definitely help you and it's going to help you grow and expand, you know, through the trauma that you have most likely suffered by living in society right now. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I, um, I interviewed a, a master coach recently who used to work for the Franklin, Franklin Covey Institute. Um, so, so right up there when it comes to coaches, you know, and, um, I, I asked her, Ask them, sorry, uh, what, um, wh- why should people invest in a coach? You know, like wh- people don't think it's it's worth paying for. Like why should I pay someone to tell me what to do? But yeah. if we liken it to, um, you know, a, a sport, you know, someone in the Olympics, are they going to, you know, go, go to practice in their backyard and win a gold medal? I mean, if they're bloody good, yeah, maybe. But yeah. the only way you're going to reach the pinnacle of where you want to be in any field in life is to actually invest in someone who can help you t- take those things to the next level. You can't do it all by yourself. If you want to be great at something, you can you can get so far on your own, absolutely. And we, and I highly encourage people to, to tap into that. But if you want to go next level, a coach is where you go. Definitely. I, that's a beautiful <laughs> analogy metaphor. I mean, I have, I've not thought of it that way myself, but that's absolutely like, I mean, the best of the best had extraordinary coaches. I mean, I'm sure Michael Jordan, all the greats of all sports, you know, had a great coach somewhere along the way who was a person who helped them go to the next level. And we, we so revere sports, right? We revere those people. Um, and that's a great, metaphor then to take okay great then you know if you want to reach your level of whatever your industry Mm. is and whatever your passion is you want to reach higher levels uh that's a great way to do it to get someone to help you and i also just think in community um you know you said earlier something when we were talking at the very beginning about storytelling i also think storytelling we're we've always been storytellers Mm. we have been storytellers since before we even verbally i mean there are caveman drawings on rocks in caves and on walls all throughout this whole planet um, from our ancestors long ago before there was necessarily even verbal language. We've always been storytellers. And I think that's where our healing Mm. lies. Absolutely. Is really in our storytelling and in walking in these journeys. I think the reason we're actually in such a place of struggle that we are in now is because we've become too independent we become too isolated. Like I'm over here, you're over there. We never lived like this. We lived in community mm. as tribes and villages. We lived as one. Everyone played a role and played a part in order for the whole community to thrive. And I think we've gotten so far away from that, that we just, uh, we're, we're just isolated. I remember I, I was, I quoted this a woman, Dr. Uh, Edith, uh, Ager in my book, she wrote the book called The Choice, and she was a Holocaust survivor. Mm. And um, I heard her speak in person at, at a synagogue, uh, and she said the people who survived in the camp were the people who worked together. Mm. <clears throat> and if you win at it alone, you didn't last for very long. Mm. 
And she tells this extraordinary story of like when the, when like they were free, like the day that they were about to be freed by, I guess, I think it was the Americans could have also been the Russians um, coming in uh, to the camp, but the, the Nazis like were marching them out and they were trying to escape with like whoever was sort of left and her back was broken. And they had said, if you stop, whatever, we're just going to shoot you. Like, this is the end, you know, and her friends carried her. Mm -hmm. And I just always thought of that image that it's just like, you know, that's, that's how we're meant to be in, in community, in this collective. Uh, We're not good at going it alone. It's just, we're just not. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a, another analogy I've made recently and, and, I'm actually going to talk about um, our friend, uh, mutual friend, uh, Nikki LaCroce uh, from the Who the Fuck podcast. Um, she and I had a conversation and ever since I've used this analogy when when things get stupid in life <laughs> um, and, it, and it goes back to cavemen, funnily, funnily enough, as you were just saying, um, you know, I was talking to my mum yesterday because all the people going on about trying to get Taylor Swift tickets here because there's only four shows or something and only in two states and everybody's losing their mind. And I was just like, people are just like, their life is over because they can't get a Taylor Swift ticket. And I was like, come on, get a grip of yourself, really? You know, there's people here who can't eat right now and all you care about is a Taylor Swift ticket and not getting one. Like, but I love to look back to caveman times. If they had a TV screen in their cave looking at us today in 2023 they would be sitting there laughing about how crazy we all are you know the stupid shit we do like i was saying to nikki we shoot each other you know we're there trying to survive and not get eaten by a tiger (laughs) yep you know like look at look at that difference if we can just take perspective into things and go wow what a world we live in now. And it doesn't need to be yeah. that way. Definitely. I mean, we're like the only animal that actually harms itself. Yes. <laughs> like other animals do maybe once in a while over an extreme territory or like for good reason, right? Or like you're going to harm my young, not just nilly willy like hey i'm gonna go to the mall and shoot 30 people like Mm. it's unbelievable um yeah what we've evolved into as a species i just think it's it's such a useful analogy you know like when the world gets crazy you just go imagine the cavemen watching us now (laughs) what what would they say and what would their experience be (laughs) yeah for sure i think it would be pretty stunned if we can strip things back sometimes it really just helps us see you know, how crazy we all are sometimes and that all this other shit doesn't Agreed. matter, you know? <laughs> Agreed. Agreed, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> I mean, I love Tay-Tay, but not that much. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Now, <clears throat> you got into shamanism um, as well and tried that out and and also now integrate that into the work that you do. Um, tell us a bit more about what that looks like if someone wanted to experience that with you. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that was probably one of the most life-changing, you know, I had had an Akashic Records reading. I don't know if you know what the Akashic I've Records had one. is. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, those of you online listening, if you don't know, look it up. It's mm. worth looking at. It's also spectacular. But so I had a reading. The woman said to me, you've got a tear in your second chakra. I've never even seen that before. You need to see a shaman. Really? 
Okay. And in a way, I didn't even know really what a shaman was at that time. I was just like, I, I'm thinking like what I've seen in a movie or things. Yeah. I'm like, okay. So I just sort of stored that away. And then uh, a couple of months later, I was like with a group of friends who someone was saying, oh, I went to this amazing like uh, energy healer. She's here from the UK. You have to see her when she's here. Like it's incredible. So I got that woman's info, went to see her. Incredible. Amazing. Like we're actually still friends all the a decade plus later. But she also is like, okay, I worked some on that, but there's probably still more to be done. I was like, okay. Um, And then I ended up at a spiritual center where the woman said, I talked to her afterwards and we're just kind of chatting. I'm telling her what's going on. She goes, you need to see a shaman. And I was like, oh God, this is like, this is a repeating theme. She goes, I know one I'll send, you know, go, here's their number, call them. Um, So again, I didn't have really any idea what that was like truthfully what it looks like in modern day, you know, in the United States, uh, you know, in not an, in an, an indigenous or native American setting per se, you mm-hmm. know, which is what you often <clears throat> see like in, in movies and, and things like that. So, um, you know, that began like this transformational process. I mean, I, I know you asked more about w- what it looks like for me, but I just want to share this brief part of it that that was where, you know, I started work with the woman, uh, she would do this amazing drumming and it just kind of brings you into this trance like state, you know, very meditative state. But through that, I was able to basically transport through space and time, you know, I mean, for a lot of the sessions, we would literally go back to a lot of the things in my childhood, some of these things I've, I've mentioned to you and like sort of, uh, re-experience them. Um, and one fascinating <laughs> thing that happened was one day after the session had ended, she goes, I just I just want to point this out. And I don't know if you realize this, but whenever we go back to your childhood, when you're describing to me what you're seeing and what you're experiencing, you're always referring to yourself as he. And I just, I don't know if you realize <laughs> that. So I just want to put that out there. And I hadn't realized it, but then when I kind of went home and thought about it, I realized I had always referred to myself and my body parts even as he. Um, and I was like, Whoa. Okay. So anyways, that was like a really big, you know, life-changing experience for me. It was right after I had gotten sober. It really helped me survive um, getting sober and sort of changing my entire life around. So um, I worked with her for a while. And then later I just sort of said, Hey, I love this work so much. Like, can you show me how to do this with other people? So she's just sort of put me through this like boot camp training, you know, of it. And, uh, you know, she'd send me 12 or 15 journey. Okay. Do journeys, all these. And I would just go and do them just one right after another and write them all out. And then I'd send it back to her and she'd be like, Whoa, okay. You're doing this really fast. And you're like, really getting, you know, so I just loved it. And I really took to it and it just became, it felt like so familiar to me and, um, and just like, it was a part of me. And so, you know, sort of fast forward, um, you know, at times I've done shamanic circles where I've just invited people bi-monthly. We have had people come and join. We've just drummed and I've done either a guided journey or I've had everybody just do their own journey. And then we talk about it um, and, and share experiences, which is fascinating to do in a group because people doing their own journeys will have overlapping information in a group. Mm. Like it's, it's spectacular really. Um, and then I've done, you know, again, one-on-one things where it might look like, um, you know, having a client who says, you know, I'm struggling with, uh, it could be like 
money or something like that. And I've at times said, okay, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to think like, what's the first instance that you recall that? And they might think, oh, when I was a little kid, this happened with my dad or, you know, whatever. And then I'll, I'll kind of dig deeper and say, oh, do you think that really was the first time? And sometimes it'll be that people can just instantly transport themselves back to, oh my God, I'm seeing this vision of this other life. I'm like a farmer, you know, and then people always go, I don't think, I don't know if this is real or not. I go, just go with it. Just, just say it, you know, just say what's coming. Um, and you know, people will have this whole extravagant thing that they remember very detailed, you know, and they're just telling me out loud and I'm, you know, getting questions from my guides that are kind of interacting with their guides. Sometimes I'll see something right before they say it. Um, so it is just sort of walking through that. So sometimes it is past life things. Sometimes it's just energetic things where we're working sort of in some of the other sort of realms um, to clear and heal things. And yeah, I mean, it's probably been one of the most powerful um, one of the most powerful tools, even just for my own self, it's still such a big part of my own practice. Um, and how I usually, uh, it's how I ended up at seminary. I mean, I was kind of just one day I was doing a journey in my backyard and I was like asking my guides, okay, you know, I had heard for years, people saying that they're, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book, all kinds of psychics, intuitives. One even said, I see on a Hay House stage and I <laughs> got published by Hay House. So you can't make that stuff up. Um, and this was, uh, like 12 years ago. Um, anyways, I'm doing a journey and I say, take me to this, uh, a shaman I had worked with that does this, like a library you go to where you go and you can then open a book and have it transport you kind of thing. So I went to the, the library in the sky, I think you call it. And I, I had some of my guides with me and I asked them, show me my book. And I'm walking through this room and all the books were outward, you know, like the spine was showing like normal you'd see in a bookstore or a library. And then there was one that was turned the other way. And I was like, oh, I reach for it. I grab it. I open it. And it was like being transported through, you know, like Harry Potter or magic, you know, Lord of the Rings, like through the portal. And I ended up in this big room. It was like a kind of like a conference or a convention. You know, there's all these people in a room. And I'm like making my way through and I see up way, way in the front, there's a stage and there's like a big, the big screen, you know, and I'm getting closer and closer. And the screen literally says like Reverend Alex Regan. <laughs> and I was like, Reverend, like, that's weird. Like, what are you talking about? You know? And I kind of was just like, this is really weird. And I kind of finished the journey and that's really kind of, it started to just kind of fizzle out. And I came out, back out of the meditation and I was like, What? So I talked to, you know, my mentor, I said, Hey, I had this journey. And she goes, yeah, I could see that. And I was like, what, how would I, you know, and sure enough, she knew of a seminary that uh, was like open and affirming and it was interfaith. And literally within months, I was like, I applied there and got into the school and uh, it was like, I saw the future is the only way I can really explain it. So yeah, it's been a spectacular part of my of my practice and just my life. That's incredible. And, you know, through this show, I've met so many people who do all of these kind of practices all around the world. And a lot of them have kindly said, look, I, I want to do a session with you. And um, <clears throat> I did a past life regression and future progression session with someone from the UK. Um, hello, Ray, if you're listening. Um, and we went through this session. God, I think it must have gone for two hours and 
<clears throat> we went back through my past lives and um, I had about three or four different past lives. And before, you know, I had done this, I've done like two years of sound healing where, you know, you you bring out, you know, all past trauma kind of stuff through past lives and all that kind of thing. And anyway, <clears throat> we do this, this um, these past lives. <laughs> my first life, I was seaweed. <clears throat> mm. I was seaweed amazing, floating in the ocean. <laughs> and I tell people this, my hairdresser and I still have uh, jokes about it today. But um, she said, I just want to be seaweed. <laughs> and then my second one, I was a crow. I was like a bird. Mm. Um, yeah. And the third, I was a Greek slave um, who was murdered. Um, and, and I went through the entire death process. It was, ugh, I don't want to go through that again. Um, and then um, went into the future where, yeah, it was it was spectacular. And I'm starting to see some glimmers of that stuff coming through in my life already. already and I'm like, awesome. I'll see you. I'll see you. Yep. <laughs> yep. And, and people listening to us are probably on. these guys are kooky, but it, this stuff is real. It is real. Yeah. If, if you just go with your gut and listen to your intuition and go for that ride and just release all your judgment, release everything else, Yep. You'll you'd be amazed what can come through. Yep, for sure. And look at what it's done for you. Like you are now living that life. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. It is incredible. Yeah. And I, I love this stuff. I mean, I love these kinds of conversations. I love to meet other people who are curious about this stuff and, and want to experience this because Man, I would take a conversation like this any day over, you know, shooting the shit about how the weather is or <laughs> what they're doing at their office job, which I do too. I still do consulting and other work as well. And we all have our lives and yeah. uh, things out. It can't always be uh, that deep, no. you know, but man, I'll, I, I'll take it as much as it can be. You know, I would always take that stuff um, over feeling like, you know, it's just sur- surface level. Mm. Now, where are you located in the States? I'm in New Jersey. New Jersey, right? Yes. I was trying to pick an accent, and I'm I'm generally pretty good at them, <laughs> but I was picking up a, a bit of a almost a southern accent. Yeah, I've lived all over yeah. this entire country, <laughs> so now I have this mishmash. It's pretty fun actually because I've had people I've gotten in cabs or I've gotten in Ubers, and people are like, "Where are you from?" You yeah, know? I just <clears throat> like I've I've visited places and picked up some portion of their accent. Uh, you know, I lived in Texas for a while. I will always say y'all. I yeah. think that's the best way to like talk to a group of people is to say y'all. It covers all genders. All it's like the most brilliant. So too bad, Texas. I definitely am stealing that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a very hodgepodge, uh, eclectic accent. And it's changing as my voice is changing on mm. testosterone. Um, that's also, um, I'm changing it as well, for sure. <laughs> right. Now, um, tell us about the book. I mean, if people want to get a hold of it, uh, as I, I'm looking at it going, God damn, I wish I could read that right now. Um, can you tell us where we can grab a copy? You can get it everywhere books are sold. I actually even have Australian links for you that I will send you the link um, at some of the bookstores there because I was actually published through the Hay House UK. So I have some special links that are UK and Australian links um, specifically. Um, But everywhere you can buy books on the, you know, Amazons, Barnes and Nobles, uh, if you Google, you can find some smaller bookstores that uh, that have it as well. Um, it's also uh, in 
like any eBooks and uh, also the audio book you, you can find, which is my fun voice. So if you want to listen to me read to you for six and a half hours, I highly recommend that. And uh, yeah, so you can get it anywhere and you can, you know, you can go to my website and I have multiple links still on there um, as well. Or I think I have at least one now, I guess I've, I've taken the big uh, page down that had the initial uh, push for everyone. But, um, but yeah, you can find it. You can Google Alex Regan and it's going to start coming (laughs) up all, all over the place, which is great fun now. But the book is called What Needs to Be Said. So jump on uh, Amazon wherever you buy books and uh, grab it. But Alex, if people want to get in touch with you and find out more, what is your website if or your socials if they want to get in touch with you? You bet. So my website is just uh, alexregan.com and you can find me there. You can message me on there. Um, there's a contact us or contact me form. And then on social media, I mostly participate. Instagram sort of my big, uh, it's just Rev Regs. So R-E-V-R-E-E-G-S. You can find me on Instagram. I'm also on TikTok, which I still sometimes feel way too old to be on, but I, I try <laughs> to do it. Um, I try to do it. And Facebook. I, you know, I'm on Facebook as well. And it's also at Rev Regs. So all of them uh, are at Rev Regs. So you can find me on there, hit me up, shoot me a message. Like I said, if you're LGBTQI+, hit me up. I'll do some free session, sessions with you. Um, I like to support our community any way that I can. And if you're not, hit me up because I might give you a free session too. I love to just help people out if that's needed. Um, and if not, you can pay. Great. Um, <laughs> I, I try not to get too caught up in all of, all of that stuff because I think, again, I want to help uh, people and I want us to you know come back together and see our collective oneness and and that we we're better when we're working together on all of this stuff. I'm going to do you one better, Alex, and I'm going to join the cause with you and anyone who's LGBTQ plus uh, that are listening uh, and um, hear us and want want a free session, I'll also join you and I'll throw in some free sessions as well. So hit both of us up if you want to actually try spiritual coaching um, and and connect with yourself. Awesome. Now, I love it. Alex, I've got the last big question for you. Give it to me. What's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life? You know, I did this amazing, I did a book club. So these women had bought my book and they had a little book club and I knew the brother of one of the women. So originally they'd said, oh, can you do like a zoom in with them? I was like, sure. Well, it turned out, end up, he's like, I'll host at my house. Will you come? I was like, you bet. So it was like, you know, five or six women. Now these are all straight, cis married i think they were all women like again you'd think oh what do i have in common with a trans guy why am i reading his book but that's sort of what i've challenged people to say if you think you won't find yourself in my book Mm -hmm. like i dare you to read it and the most fascinating thing was every single one of them said i saw myself in your story wow every single one of them in fact one of them said the most beautiful thing she said almost two thirds of the way through, I just saw you as this energetic thing that I like with just energy, this being that I was connected to that I felt total connection with. And it wasn't until I began to start talking about my transition and the surgery that I had had and things like that, that she all of a sudden had this cognition of like, Oh my God, this is a person with a body. <laughs> like it was literally like the most amazing compliment because she really just said, I just, for most of the story, just felt this connection through like this love essence space, you know, of what I believe is oneness. And so 
I think that's my hope. That's for the change in this world is that we sort of get back to remembering who we are and that we know that this is who we are. We are oneness. There's no place where you begin and I end. Um, And the more we can tie back into that and do this work to excavate all the crap that's gotten in the way of that, um, that's who we really are. And that's where our like success lies. That's where our, you know, growth lies is, is returning back home to that trueness of ourselves Mm. and of each other that we're not, you're not the other we're underneath it all. We're all running through the same energy, the same connection of love and oneness and unity. Mm, Absolutely. You know, and it comes back to like when we're born, you know, the first day we're born, we're born without all that programming, all that judgment, all these labels, all this stuff. Like if we could just take ourselves back to zero, yeah, like that would just, that would be a huge change in the world, you know, if we could let yeah. go of all of that stuff. For yeah. sure. And that's what we're here for. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. For Alex, sure. I could sit and talk to you all day. Seriously, I have lost track of time and space and everything and have felt completely connected to you regardless of the fact that you're all the way in the States. Um, Thank you for every single minute um, of your energy and and love right here on The Ethical Evolution. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It means a lot and I'm so excited that uh, we are all finding each other in these (laughs) little pods. Nikki, you know, we're all doing this work in the world and uh, I I hope you'll come on my podcast because I just recently started. I mean, I'm just a few episodes in, so I would love to have have you on as well. Done deal. Sign me up. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution Podcast. If you're ready to be the change and would love to work with me on finding your voice through spiritual coaching or creating your own podcast with impact, visit ethicalchangeagency.com. Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the city of angels. My IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Welcome to Tuning In to Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonise your mind, body and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning In to Sound Wellbeing today. Electric Acid.